Didn't go for the hands this time. Hands-free sink. Hands-free sink. I have my hands in my pockets, so, you know, can't be bothered yes. getting them out just to clap them. Right. Got to make do. Improvise. Fair enough. Live life on the edge. <laughs> you know, live dangerously. YOLO. All of that. Monument Valley is actually a place. It's not just a game. Turns out, a lot less isometric puzzles <laughs> than I was expecting. Right. And uh, more more rocks. More rocks. <laughs> Oh yeah, but it's amazing. It's it's, it's amazing. The the landscape is is like nothing else you've ever seen. Mm. I mean, you're from Australia, so maybe you have. But I, I know you don't have a big canyon, but you do have you do have some big rocks. We've got one big rock. Got one big rock. Yeah. Have you seen it? Have you been to that big rock? I've never actually been there. No. Well, in that case, it's like nothing you've seen in your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Am I? Is it kind of like the um, Warner Brothers Bugs Bunny Roadrunner cartoons? That kind of. That kind of geology, <laughs> that kind of landscape. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, it is a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. It's very obviously very dry because it's a desert, right? And those are those are dry by nature, and and just the Grand Canyon itself, I think, formed while it was underwater, like it was ocean at some point. Oh, okay, right. And so that kind of landscape, I think, does exist all over the earth, hmm. but it's just mostly underwater, so you don't usually see it. I see. And so when you see it above ground and completely dry, it's it's like totally alien, and it's on a scale that we're just not used to seeing hmm. as humans, I don't think. Amazing. So that's quite amazing, yeah. And then a couple of days in Las Vegas on either side, so hmm. it was a bit different. What was the temperature like in the desert? Was it very hot? Quite hot during the day. Not like very, very hot, because it's still spring. Hmm. But it was it was getting up to, I mean, I think some days it did get up to the 90s in Fahrenheit, which is like, you know, mid to high 30s right. Celsius, uh, but very dry. Mm. And that's that's during the day. That's like the, th- the peak would be about three in the afternoon. Right. And then by night, it was like cold. It was colder than it is here in California. Oh, okay, really? It would drop down to like 50, whatever that is in, in real degrees. It's like about... 10, 10 or something. King's knuckles yeah. or something. Uh, no, it's 50, it's 50 King's knuckles. Oh. It's, it's 10 sensible water units. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, see. I see. Yeah, actually, uh, because San Francisco, or at least the Bay Area, some of, uh, some of it, you know, geologically, it's a very, and also meteorologically, it's a very unusual area. And it, can, it does get very cold there at unusual times of the year, doesn't it? Well, San Francisco in particular. I mean, San Francisco is like its own little microclimate. And... Uh, just a little bit further south in the South Bay, it's like completely different. Right. It's like maybe an hour's drive or something, and you go from like cold, wet, foggy, ten degree weather or something to to like thirty degrees and beautiful sun and clear skies mm. after like an hour's drive. It's like going from England to Spain. Mm. In, in an hour's drive. Right. Yeah, I have um, distinct memories of one time I went to uh, San Francisco for the, the Game Developers Conference. This was many years ago. No, it wasn't Game Developers Conference. It was Casual Connect because it was in July. And this was when I was living in Japan. Mm. And I boarded the plane in 38 degree, basically 100% humidity. Mm. <laughs> kind of swum my way onto the onto the plane scraped off all the 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 moss and the mushrooms and the the molds growing <laughs> growing all over me <laughs> and um got off the plane in San Francisco fully expecting it to be summer therefore warmish and it was right. like 
12. Full-inch. And I, I, can, yeah, yeah. I can remember that um, uh, I was going to stay with my friend who lives in Berkeley, and he lives up on the hills in Berkeley. And um, I decided foolishly to walk to his place because after, you know, nine or ten hours sitting down in an aeroplane, I just, you know, it's nice to, feels good to move your legs around and get some exercise. Sure. And uh, it was so cold, yet I hadn't, my body hadn't properly acclimatized. So it didn't feel cold. It didn't feel uncomfortably cold, but obviously the temperature was very low. And walking up this hill with the physical exertion, I can remember actually looking down and seeing my body steaming. <laughs> like, I could actually see my body steaming because I was kind of so hot, but the just being so cold around me, and I was wearing, you know, shorts and a and a T-shirt, which is not okay. evidently not the best attire to be uh, no. dressed in in summer in San Francisco. But uh, no, I came during the summer a couple of years ago. Before we moved out here, we we came for like a week just to get the lay of the land and, and a feel for where it is and right. where we'd like to live and stuff like that. And we were in we were in San Francisco for a couple of days. We were mostly sort of visiting the South Bay, but I had I'd brought mostly shorts and a t shirt for mo- and been fine, lovely for most of the trip. But San Francisco, it just works completely differently. Like exactly that period that you would expect to be warm, right? J- June, July, August is really cold and foggy and horrible. But if you go in, like, February, when GDC is on, or even better, March, and also in, in the autumn after summer is over, in, in sort of September-October time, mm. it's beautiful. It's lovely and warm and sunny, and it almost looks like a nice city. Mm. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's a strange, strange, strange place. Um, anyway, so I'm curious about Las Vegas because – a lot has been said about Las Vegas, and there's a obviously the kind of the the image that it has in the media and in movies and you know in popular culture. Mm. Uh, what is it actually like? Well, it's very much like that. I mean, we didn't do any gambling or do any of the casinos or any of that. We were only there for a couple of days, and that wasn't really the purpose of our trip. Mm. And I was going with you know my wife and and her mother, so it was sort of more of a family family trip does las vegas really accommodate that kind of objective i think so but i think it worked better for us also because we were taking an excursion out from las vegas i see so we we used las vegas as a base to go to other places and there's a ton of other places we still didn't fit in Mm. so i think we we've got room to go back a couple of times if we wanted to Mm. we saw the grand canyon Antelope Canyon, which is amazing. Mm. If you haven't seen photos of Antelope Canyon, you can Google them now while I'm talking. Okay. They're incredible. Monument Valley, which is also, you know, amazing. And a place called Sedna, which is really popular with Japanese women for some reason. Uh, <laughs> okay. Supposed to be a power spot. If you, I don't know if they say that in English, but power spot. I see. Uh, <laughs> so it's got magical uh, properties. So we went, we went there, but there's, I mean, the, the Hoover Dam, for example, is an amazing site that we just drove past and didn't see at all. And that's much closer to Las Vegas. So, so there's a lot of little excursions you can make like that. And there's also a lot of shows on. I mean, I think there's, we went to see the Cirque du Soleil. We saw their show, O, oh, which is, they're doing all the acrobatics and everything, but they've also got, the actual stage has got like a, a pool in it it's got water mm. embedded into the stage wow. and so as well as acrobatics they're also doing bits of synchronized swimming and diving in and out of the water and jumping off a trapeze into the water and things like this so that was quite an amazing show 
But, you know, in most places, they would have like one Cirque du Soleil show and it would be a big thing. But Las Vegas has got like three or four going on simultaneously right. in different locations. Right. So, you know, there's plenty to go back for there. There's stand-up comedy magic shows and stuff like that. There's a lot of shows. And the hotels as well are just amazing because they're just a, a sort of extravagance that you wouldn't see anywhere else really right except maybe somewhere like dubai but even in dubai dubai is extravagant and expensive feeling but the fun thing about las vegas is it's all that but they're also themed right you've got caesar's palace and the venetian and and uh the, the luxor is a big pyramid and it's got this egyptian theme going on the excalibur is this like fake looking castle that <laughs> looks ridiculous when you come from a country that actually has castles right <laughs> but, <laughs> but i think it is supposed to look a bit ridiculous i don't think it's aiming for for a real castle as its look hmm. they've got a big uh a ferris wheel like which is i think the biggest in the world i think they purposefully made it like a foot higher than the london eye or something so okay. they could say it was bigger so they've got a lot of that and most of these hotels, you do have to walk through the casino to get anywhere, mm. which is kind of annoying because casinos are not quite as loud as pachinko parlors. Right. But it feels like a similar sort of thing, right? Imagine you've got a street full of massive hotels and basically nothing else. And every hotel you want to go into, you've got to walk through a pachinko parlor to get in there. Is that, is that uh, kind of like airports where they have their duty-free shop in between the entrance and the exit to the, uh, you know, like the, the the boarding area or the departure lounge, so you have to walk through it. They've got, uh, well, they've got uh, they've got slot machines all in where the gates are, so you have to walk past slot machines to get to your gate. I see at the at the airport. So it's very much very much about the gambling, Las Vegas, right? Uh, but they've also, you know, I mean, we went to see the Venetian, for example. We weren't staying there, but a lot of these hotels, even if you don't stay in the rooms. A lot of the amazing sort of effect that they go for is actually open to the public to view as well. You don't have to be a guest. Okay. So you can just go and visit all these different hotels. Mm. And of the ones we visited, I thought the Venetian was the most amazing, where they've got this canal system, you know, modeled after Venice, obviously, right. inside the hotel. It's like in the middle of the hotel, they've got this canal running through it with actual gondolas, and you can pay to have a, you know, a gondola driver take you around this canal. And they've got the ceiling is painted like the sky and the lighting is permanently like dusk in Venice. <laughs> so whatever time of day or night you go there, it'll be dusk in Venice. <laughs> and you can eat at restaurants there and they've got shops and they have occasionally they have this little sort of opera show. That they've got a few people go and sing some famous opera songs and stuff. So, you know, it's just it was kind of weird, right? And there is something very tacky about it, mm. but it's like taking a tacky thing and then doing it so to such an extreme that it's like, fair enough, that is tacky, but you've done tacky quite well. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Another example of how sort of Las Vegas is, is kind of a, a study in extravagance mm. is this year, Las Vegas decided to create an ice hockey team. I see. <laughs> Las, Las Vegas is in the middle of a desert. It's kind right? of like the Jamaican bobsled team, I guess, really. Right, right. It's a similar sort of deal. So they're like, fine, but, you know, you can have ice rinks. Fair enough. So they made an ice rink 
in Las Vegas in the middle of a desert. And then they went and hired people, like good players, from all loads of other teams around the country. And then they entered the league. And this year is their first year in the league. And they're doing really well. Like, they might win. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous. And while I was there, they happened to be playing the San Jose Sharks, which is the local team around here. So that was a bit of a coincidence. But we didn't go and see them or anything. But But they won. They beat them. And I believe the Sharks are a fairly major team. So, you know, well done. I'm not really into ice hockey or anything, so I, <laughs> I know nothing more than it I've just said. But I just love the idea that they're like, yeah, ice hockey, we'll do that. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a pretty amazing trip all in all, but uh, what was the highlight then for you if you had to choose one thing? The highlight for me would probably be Antelope Canyon. I mean, it's a, it's a toss-up between Antelope Canyon and the Grand Canyon, I think which are both amazing in their different ways. I'm just looking at some pictures of the Antelope Canyon. This is a obviously a very uh, very famous place that I think most people will have seen. In uh, If you have any, even a passing interest in nature photography or landscape photography, you, right. will, you will have seen this location before. Or if you have Windows 10. Uh, it's one of the yeah. desktop backgrounds on Windows 10. Right, right. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine you know, the, the, the majesty of what it would feel like to stand in, in, a, in a location with this kind of light. It looks very... Um, it, you can certainly see that it's been shaped by water and wind. Right, Because it, yes. it's a very kind of soft appearance to it, isn't it? Yeah, and a real grain to it as well. You can see the direction the wind has has run through the canyon over the ages, which mm. is, is quite something to think about. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. the Grand Canyon itself, though, what what about that was, like if that's a close second to the Antelope Canyon, what, what about the Grand Canyon was so impressive? I think it's it's mostly just the the sheer scale of it right. the fact that your eyes kind of boggle at it you don't quite understand what you're looking at mm. another friend of mine visited the grand canyon before and, and he was saying it, it was partly on his recommendation that we decided to go and visit it and when he went he was standing there and he saw this sort of shadow of a bird in the distance and it was flying sort of towards him and he was trying to figure out what kind of bird it could be because it was it was kind of a funny shape and it had a really strange sort of pattern to its flight it, it didn't seem to fly in the way that he's used to you know the birds that he knows so he was looking at it like peering trying to work out what bird it could be and then it sort of turned and came a little bit closer into view and he realized it was a helicopter <laughs> it, was, it was just the the place was so big right <laughs> That this helicopter in the distance looked like it could conceivably have been a bird. Wow. Uh, so it is, you know, it is amazing. Actually, we went to another place, which I, I didn't list. Like, technically, I think it is part of the Grand Canyon, which is called Horseshoe Bend, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. It's this place where the Colorado River sort of flows around in this horseshoe shape. And and that's another case where, like, there's sort of one perfect angle you can stand where you're sort of looking into the middle of the horseshoe and the river is going around. And again, your mind can't quite comprehend how big it is. Mm. Like, it makes for a great photo. It's nice framing and stuff. And if you look at photos, you probably think, oh, that looks pretty. Yeah, I'm, I'm, looking, at, I'm looking at a photo now, actually. It kind of looks like a, uh, like a mirrored picture, doesn't it? Right, yeah. It's, it's so perfectly symmetrical. And it looks, I think it looks pretty in photos. But unless you're actually there, I don't think you can appreciate the kind of scale of it and the the distance of that middle part right that little sort of middle island that's, that's jutting out in front of you and the 
how, just how far down the river is. It's uh, yeah, it's it's really doesn't fit in with any of my other experiences in terms of just sheer size. Mm, yeah, it looks amazing. I have to say, um, the times that I've been to places that are not urban and metropolitan in America, mm. uh, and in my case, that was uh, uh, I think the, the the second time I went to America was. Uh, about ten years ago, and that was actually in uh, the Ken- in Kentucky State, and mm. uh, my father, my mother, my wife, and myself. You know, we had a rental car, and we my my parents were living in Kentucky at the time uh, for my dad's work, and we drove from Kentucky um, to various sort of remote locations in Kentucky, and then up through the country to uh, up north to I believe it was Philadelphia, and then up into Canada, and. Mm. America is a is a stunning stunning country. I mean, it's like the natural aspect is is uh, is incredible. Like it's really, and of course it's a it's a vast country, and there's various different right. sort of geological. Um, yeah, the the varieties because it's essentially a continent, yeah, right? exactly. as well as being a country. So you, you really do get the variety. Mm. Yeah, very. I just remember thinking that yeah, you know, there's the aspects of America that I was. Uh, this was, you know, when I had been there, I was only my second time. So I can remember that, uh, you know, as an Australian going to visit America, there are various aspects of it that are pretty much just as you imagine they're going to be. Mm. Uh, and parts that are reflected in the pop culture and the media that, uh, it, you know, is broadcasted from America. But then to be surprised by, you know, this natural aspect that I really didn't expect it to be that beautiful was very, very impressive. And right. yeah, each time I go back... Uh, even in the cities as well, you know, in in some of the cities in the autumn, the color of the leaves and the, you know, the the color of the sky and the quality of the light, and you know, it's just a, a really really beautiful country. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so, I mean, this trip has reminded me of a thing that I was already thinking, but I must try and stick to it now that now that I've remembered, which is that I do quite regret not taking better advantage of my location when I lived in Japan. Mm. Because I lived there for seven years, and I never went to Korea, I never went to China, I never went to Taiwan, I never went to Vietnam. Mm. I went. To, there's all these countries in that neck of the woods that I've wanted to visit for a long time, and I always intended to visit when we lived there. But then, you know, then we left, and when we decided to leave, it was quite sudden, and it was quite soon. You know, there wasn't that much time between deciding that we were going to leave and, and leaving. Yeah. So I ended up, you know, you, you always put it off for, oh, yeah, well, we live here, so we can go whenever we like. Mm. And then some, somehow a few years later, you find that, well, now you've left. And, you know, apart from one trip to Bali, you've never visited anywhere remotely in the region. Uh, so I, I kind of don't want to do that this time. I'd like to see, I'd like to make the effort to sort of see a few places in America and also, you know, in South America mm. and in this side of the world while I'm here, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, just just winding it back there a bit, I think the issue, you know, you said that, well, we live here so we can go whenever we want. I think that's mm. that's the key problem because for myself as well, I lived in Japan for 16 years and as far as travel to locations close by to Japan that weren't business-related – I went to China <laughs> and I right. already lived in China. So, so you know, it's like there's no other places that, you know, I didn't go to Korea, which I would have liked to or, right. uh, you know, any of the – and, of course, being from Australia, you know, the Southeast Asian countries are, I guess, somehow less exotic than uh, um, than, than they could be. But the thing is mm-hmm. that um, 
in Japan, you know, when you work there, it, it's often not the case that you can go whenever you like, because I think that especially if you're wanting to travel with somebody else,、mm-hmm. such as, in, you know, in your case, your wife, you know, they will have their work schedule and you'll have your work schedule. And、right. as we know,、right. you know, travel in Japan, work in Japan, I should say, is、uh, as far as taking time off. Yeah, it's not generally that easy, I guess. Right. And、uh, right. then, you know, the, the, the whole country takes time off, incidentally, right now, which is Golden Week in Japan. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. And also Obon and also the New Year. And naturally, during these sort of week long holidays, the, the entire country is on holiday, and therefore, you know, prices of travel just escalate to amazing heights. And so,、right. and also everything's sort of crowded yeah, and packed. Exactly. And, and so, because I can always remember sort of thinking, yeah, it would be nice to do this, it would be nice to go there, or be nice to, you know,、mm. leave the country and do this. But it was just really difficult all the time trying to find the, trying to find the right sort of convenient time to do it from a work point of view when you actually don't have that many days off anyway. And then trying to sort of string them on either end of the Golden Week or the Obon or New Year holiday to, to get yourself more time. But then realizing that by doing that, you've, you know, you've just sort of landed yourself right in the middle of a, <laughs> right in the middle of massively premium prices for everything. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah th- that was one thing that sort of disappointed me a little bit about Japan. I mean, obviously, we were both there to work. We weren't there to go and, you know, use it as a base to go around and, you know, do a lot of, whole lot of tourism for eight years or 16 years. But,、uh, sure. But I, I think, I, you know, I think that what you say is true, and it is not that easy to make time and all the rest of it. And, you know, I was married to somebody who worked in schools. So I still mar- am married to her, but she doesn't work anymore. <laughs>、um, but、uh, so we, you know, we're beholden to school holidays and things like that, which、right. is,、uh, you know, even, even more. But I think we could have. I think it is one of those things that if you set out to do it, you can.、Mm. You know? And we didn't. And、mm. that's, that's kind of the end of the story in that sense. Yeah. Now,、uh, now I have two young children. And so travel, travel for leisure is、uh, even more complicated. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. there's also that feeling that, yeah, you know, I probably should have traveled a little bit more before,、uh, before having children. But you know, Some of these things you can't plan. Well, yeah, exactly. And these things, I mean, it's the same thing, right? I probably should have traveled before coming here, but, the, you know, when the opportunity comes, you've got to take it.、Mm. So, you know, and then the, time, then the time is over. So, anyway, I don't regret it that much. All I'm saying is that that is an imp- impetus for wanting to do more travel while we're here, because also here, I'm the only one working. So, you know, we only have to fit in with my holiday schedule.、Mm. And they don't have. The same property of, of Golden Week and all that, when everyone's going at the same time. Yeah. So it's a little bit more convenient, you know. And with my mission this year as well, of course, to be,、uh, to be improving the Spanish. Yeah. It'd be a good opportunity to go down to the many, many Spanish speaking countries that are, are just a bit south of here. So,、mm. how is your Spanish going? It's pretty good, actually. So I'm still rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> like, I still. I, I'm trying to remember the last time we spoke about it. I think the last time we spoke about it, I was saying I was struggling to find people to speak with、yes. and that I was, you know, watching a lot of TV and reading a lot and stuff, but I needed to get more active practice. Right. So I've done a couple of things to improve matters here. I remembered that I have a friend at work who is from Puerto Rico, so he can speak Spanish.
And so I've met up with him a few times and and we've sort of practiced. I've, I've been speaking Spanish with him a little bit. It is, my Spanish is still very slow and you have to be very patient if you're going to be willing to sit for half an hour, an hour or something and, and talk to me in only Spanish because it's, you know, I'm, I've got a long way to go. And so it can be a little bit difficult, even with this guy, you know, he's a friend and he's happy to help me and I really appreciate his help. But, you know, it's, it's, it's still kind of tricky. Hmm. So as well as that, I have signed up to and started using the service that I mentioned last time, which is called italki. Right. And italki, just to refresh what I said before, is a paid service where there are teachers of, of various levels. There are some professional teachers who've been teaching in schools and things like that mm. for years. Right. And then there are essentially amateur teachers, right? Right. They might be, a lot of them are students. So they might be in Colombia or Venezuela or Spain, but in, I'm usually on in the evening in this time zone, which is like four in the morning or something in Spain. So I don't see too many Spanish Spanish speakers at that time, mm. but there's a lot of people from, from this side of the world. And, you know, they're, a lot of the people that I've been connecting with are, are young and they're students, and this is kind of a way to get a bit of money, you know, and it's, it's quite a good system for them, I think. And the idea is that you pay a certain amount to have a lesson which can be, say, half an hour or an hour. And then you just connect on Skype and, and you have your lesson. Right. Now, the teachers can choose how much they're going to charge based on their own ability and level of experience. So you can pay like $20 for an hour with a professional Spanish teacher, and it's like having private lessons. Mm. And it's the sort of, you know, a reasonable price that you would expect for private lessons. And they will pr prepare a lesson plan for you and assign you homework and all of that. Or you can pay $4 to connect on Skype with like a student who is not a qualified teacher or anything. And they haven't got a lesson plan for you necessarily. But they're there and they'll talk with you. And usually, in, in my experience so far, when you make a mistake they will correct you and they'll type in the Skype chat window the correction so you can go and study it later. Mm. So they're, they're very helpful. They just happen not to be sort of fully qualified teachers and, and not to have put in all the background work beforehand. Right. So you have sort of kind of a range of, of prices that you can choose based on what you need. And you can mix it up as well. You can say, okay, I'm going to do one private lesson, which will then I'll study a load of stuff. You know, they'll actually teach me stuff. And then I'll do a few cheap sort of conversation practice sessions, essentially, to practice all the things I learned in that private lesson. Mm. So you can kind of balance it how you like. Now, what I've been doing is studying on my own and then just doing the practice stuff. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to go for a volume-based approach, right? right? So I want to get the biggest bang for my buck. So I, I tend to go for quite cheap uh, options. And I also tend to... Rather than scheduling lessons ahead, there's a button where you can say, see who's available right now. Mm. And you pay like a dollar extra or something for the kind of convenience of it, I guess. But that means you can just connect to someone straight away who happens to be free. Mm. And that's been really good. It's been, you know, because, because you're paying 
you don't have to feel self-conscious about like, am I boring the other person? Is this annoying for them? Right, right. Or, you know, or are we going to be talking about the same thing again or, or anything like that? And you don't have to worry that you're using up their time because you're paying for their time, you know? Right, right. So, so you know, it's it's nice for that. And the people that I've connected with so far have been really, really helpful, really nice, friendly people. And they've taken it slowly. None of them have spoken to me in English at all, which mm. I love. Wow. So they're all just, when I'm struggling, they just either stop and wait and let me work through it, or they try and guide me, but entirely in Spanish. Mm. So, so really good. So th that's a success. I will put a link in the show notes and the link will be a, I'll put a referral link because I think if you end up signing up using that, then you get $10 off and I get $10 credit or something like that. Mm. Cool. Yeah. So, so it's great. So that's one of the things I've been doing. Cool. I'm actually just looking at the website right now and uh, for Swedish, there are 21 teachers. So that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, not bad. They, they've got a range, you know. Mind you, seeing that I'm in Sweden, there might, there might be other options other than doing this online, I guess. Right, yeah. I mean, the, part of the reason I'm doing it this way is is because it's, you know, because I'm not in Spain yeah. or whatever. There are, there are plenty of Spanish speakers around here as well, and probably there would be other options here. Mm. But it is convenient just being able to log in, like, just when I've got a spare moment. Yeah. So far, I the times I've most commonly been doing it is like literally at 10 at night when I've just got like half an hour spare before I decide to go to bed. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, I've got spare time. I'm feeling quite awake. I'll give it a shot kind of thing. I think this might be kind of useful for me because um, the problem that I've discovered is that the Swedish for immigrants course in Sweden mm. is fairly intense and requires you to have a commitment from 8 a.m. until something like 12 p.m., mm. basically every day of the week. Right. And that's they, they have a sort of a correspondence course as well, but that's not very effective apparently. Mm. And so, you know, if, if, you're work, if you're working like I am, there really is no feasible way to do that. I mean, I suppose, uh, especially in my case, because I'm working with uh, colleagues in Japan, the morning time is is critical because that crosses over with the business day in Japan. Right. Which means that if I uh, sort of, for example, if I had a work day that was skewed so that I could take the Swedish course in the morning and then start work after lunch uh, and then, you know, work into the night, that just wouldn't work with the Japan team. So Right. So the opposite would almost, work, you know, if there was an afternoon-only course, that actually might work out for you. Yeah. So the problem that I've got is that, you know, well, how how am I going to get started? Right. Uh, not, not, not only do I have, you know, work during the day, but also the weekends, you know, they get, because uh, I'm playing in the band that I mentioned and also um, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. the time that I'm not in playing with the band obviously is uh, occupied with responsibilities mm. uh, with the children and, and doing stuff there. And so there's just sort of no time for it. So something like this where in the evenings, because the only time that I have to myself really is in the evenings after the children go to bed, being able to uh, do it from yeah. have a lesson for, you know over Skype with somebody here in Sweden uh at my own leisure and my own time i think uh that sounds really good yeah yeah it's it's a, re a really good system i i do it doesn't stand on its own i think you need to be doing sort of your own study and i think it would be expensive to get all your practice through the service as well so it's it's good to find other avenues for practice but right. as a sort of way to get lessons i think it's really good mm. the other avenues for practice I've been using an app which I don't think I've mentioned before, which is called Hello Talk. Mm -hmm. Did I mention that? I'm um, not sure. 
Probably, probably yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> fair enough. Hello Talk is is another app, and it's much more of a language exchange app, right? Right. So, rather than paying money to connect to a teacher who's then devoted to helping you with your target language, hmm. you're you're all sort of helping each other. So, when I was learning Japanese, which is coming on for ten years ago. There were similar sort of things. There was a thing called My Language Exchange, I think, where you, you signed up and it connected you to like pen pals from, from, for whatever your target language was. Hmm. But the, the subtle differences in that case, obviously we didn't all have iPhones then. And the intention was that you were writing emails to each other. So it kind of felt like you had to write something of some length like somehow just the fact that it was an email felt like you've got to sit down and think it through and kind of write this whole thing. Right. Hello Talk is like a mix between iMessage, just like text messages, Twitter, and to some extent Facebook. Hmm. So it's like a social networking service for people who are wanting to learn languages. So the way that it works is that I put in my target language, which is Spanish, and I say that I'm a native speaker of, of English, and I also put that, that I'm a British English speaker in case people, you know, want to learn a particular dialect. And uh, then I can make sort of public posts, which are, they're public for anyone to see. So in that sense, it's like Twitter, but then they have comment threads. So in that sense, it's like Facebook, right? Right. And, but the other the other nice thing is that on either the post or the comment on basically any text in the app, you can long press on that text and add corrections. So say I, I put in, I write something in Spanish and I post it. And a native Spanish speaker from Spain or Peru or Colombia or wherever, they might log in and have a look and they see my post and they spot a couple of mistakes. So they can just long press on that and I'll bring them up into an editing window with my post already sitting there, hmm. and they can just go and fix the mistakes. And then what, what it will do, the app will compare the two, and it will highlight it. So it'll cross out in red the thing that they deleted from my post, and then write in green the thing that they added. So it's a little bit like a git diff, <laughs> if you like, hmm. but it's by word instead of by line, right? I see. So, you know, it's, and it's so easy and quick to do. And because it's so easy and quick to do, it's become part of the culture. Because I think so, part of the problem with these language exchange pro programs is that you're kind of reluctant to correct each other, right? You find yourself, you, you're talking and they're talking and you want to be supportive of each other. And so you kind of skip over the mistakes. Mm -hmm. But because you've got this integrated system, everyone just does it. And then you just carry on the conversation. But you're getting all these corrections all the time. And anything somebody's corrected gets added to a list that you can go and study later. Mm. Uh, and the, the text message bit is exactly the same. Basically, if you find someone, you know, that you're interested in, you can send them a, a private message. And that's just like Facebook Messenger or iMessage or whatever. And you just send each other messages and then you can do all the corrections and stuff. You can send little audio snippets as well if you want. And I found that to be just great mm. i've been i've been trying to make an effort to do to post at least one public or private post every day and it just makes such a difference it's it feels so different from when i was learning japanese when i was living in england mm. because you really do you're getting practice actual practice actually speaking every single day mm. that's great unfortunately i just checked it up on the app store here unfortunately it looks like they don't have swedish 
<laughs> oh, it's not got Swedish as, a, as an option, yeah. as a language you can choose. It looks like... Oh, that's annoying. Yeah, anyway. I wonder why. Uh, well, maybe it's just that it's not... Um, just in the, the App Store description, they have a list of the languages that are supported and it doesn't include Swedish. Oh, well, that might just be the interfaces in yeah, translated th- Swedish. That, that, that might be right. So You can probably put in any any country out of thought. Mm. But yeah. yeah, but it's great. It's It's been... I've met a couple of, of people who, you know, I've found that I got along with. One of them is called Danny, actually. Right. <laughs> he's from Madrid and he's... He's an industrial engineer, I think, or a mechanical engineer. Oh, nice. And uh, he was he was playing about with us. Uh, he stays up very late, so it suits me. He's in Madrid, but somehow our time zones match because he gets home from work at like midnight and then stays up till four in the morning tinkering with his Arduino. Right. So we end up we end up chatting quite a bit. Well, maybe uh, if he's if he's looking for uh, some choice English listening content to uh, to hone his English listening ability. Indeed, shout out to Danny if you're listening good podcast to recommend <laughs> for exactly that yeah so so it's it's great you know and between that and then the the dramas i've been watching a couple of drama i've been watching uh el ministerio del tiempo which i think i mentioned before the ministry of time but i've also been watching one called la casa de papel which is called money heist in english mm. and is actually really good even if you're not interested in spanish oh, okay. <laughs> there's there's english subtitles available and there's japanese subtitles available as well and uh, I, I definitely recommend it uh, for anyone listening, even if they're not studying Spanish, because I've, I've just reached the end of the first series of that, and it's really good. Mm, so Great. So how, how are you? How have, what have you been up to while I've been doing all this Spanish? Yeah, so um, moving on from the uh, uh, language topic for a moment, I, uh, I, I, uh, I'm a bit scraped up at the moment. I, I kind of grazed my knees and grazed my elbows with a, an epic face plant <laughs> the other day oh, uh what were you doing playing with the kids yeah i i got a skateboard oh that's exciting yes well here's the story i live in between two bus stops and uh these two bus stops are basically put me in between two train stations mm. so uh some kind of transport for myself uh is pretty important we don't yet have a car here so to get to the nearby train stations i basically have to either catch a bus in which case I've got to walk to a bus stop first and then get on the bus, or I can walk to the train stations themselves, but that takes about you know, 20, 25 minutes either way. And so I thought, in my wisdom, what a great idea it would be to have a skateboard, because you know, unlike a bicycle, uh, which you would leave out the front of a train station and then be worried about, especially if you go off to game uh, industry-related events that often end very late, and you know, you come back mm-hmm. and it's sort of past midnight and uh, there's, you know, one bus every 30 minutes or so at that time of day or night. And, you know, it's kind of not really the kind of time you'd want to leave your bike at a lonely train station in the middle of nowhere. And so um, having a skateboard means that you could just carry it with you. And being the game industry, nobody really cares if you're carrying a skateboard. Uh, so I thought, yeah, that's that's a practical choice for transport. Sure. So I went to buy myself a skateboard. Now, a little bit of history. I used to skateboard a lot when I was about, uh, I don't know, eight or nine. Uh, and that was in the 80s. Now, this is kind of interesting. You know, it's fascinating the way that technology improves mm. in areas where you think, well, right. you know. I think they figured it out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You know, you kind of think that um, the, the technology of skateboards, well, of course, it's going to improve. But when you actually go to buy yourself a skateboard, 
and you remember, you know, the last time I rode on a skateboard was basically 30 years ago. Mm. I'm, uh, it's kind of surprising how much things have changed. And there's a whole range of different options for skateboards now. There's, there's different types. There's, you know, long boards and there's cruisers and there's, uh, you know, a regular skateboard for doing tricks. And even within that, there's four or five different sizes and there's different kinds of wheels. And, you know, the, it's uh, kind of nice that the standards for, you know, how many holes you have on the tracks that fit or how many, you know, the size of the bearings that go inside the walls, that's all been standardized now, which is kind of cool. That's right. another another kind of uh, side effect of technology moving along as things tend to standardize. But the other thing, uh, as I mentioned, there are various sizes of skateboards. So I thought, well, you know, if I'm getting this thing so that it can be basically portable and I can carry it when I'm not riding on it, then obviously I want something that's fairly small. Mm. You know, looking at the trendy penny boards, uh, which are basically some kind of ABS kind of composite plastic uh, skateboard, which is very, very light. They're very, very small. And I thought, nah, it's maybe a little bit small, maybe, you know, kind of hard to get used to after 30 years off of riding a skateboard. So mm. I got a, a cheap cruiser skateboard. A cruiser skateboard is a skateboard that basically is not designed for tricks, but it has um, bigger, flatter, softer wheels. Flatter in the sense that mm. a, a, a skateboard for tricks has a kind of a rounded profile on the wheels. Whereas cruisers have big... Oh, around the edges, yeah, right? that's right. So they're kind yeah, of yeah. kind of um, tapered off around the edges. So it, that allows, I guess, if you're doing tricks where involving the board spinning around, it'll mean that the board can come back to rest on its top or on its bottom more easily that way if the, if the wheels are rounded off like that. Right, right. Whereas a cruiser will have big, soft, wide wheels, which are obviously designed to, designed to roll comfortably and allow you to go over bumpy surfaces much more easily right so i got a cruiser it's probably about um i don't know what would it be maybe just less than a meter long so a little bit shorter no sorry it must be about 60 centimeters i guess so it's a little bit uh, Mm. shorter than a regular skateboard uh and quite narrow (laughs) Mm. now (laughs) here's the interesting thing so to cut to the end of the story i fell off (laughs) <laughs> and in a, in a uh, I fell off going downhill mm. and uh, did a, a fairly flamboyant face plant, <laughs> grazed up my knees and my elbows. And I was lucky that I fell slightly on my side and I didn't fall on my phone, which was in my pocket. This was when I was riding along next to my son. He was riding on his bike mm. and I was riding on the skateboard, taking him to school. Oh, dear. That must and, be scary um, for him as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, He's seen me slip over on the ice before, so he's kind of used to used to watching his dad falling over. But anyway, here's the thing. So I, I was trying to – over the, the, the weeks since this accident, I've been kind of slowly unpacking the experience and, 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 and breaking down why it happened and what, what I did wrong and, yeah, basically just trying to sort of break down how this happened so that it doesn't happen again. And here's the thing. When I was skateboarding before, 30 years ago, Mm. the shape of the skateboard was very different Mm. and the the construction of it was also very, very different. Mm. So to begin with, the skateboards back then were much wider, Mm -hmm. basically probably one and a half half times wider than a modern uh, skateboard for tricks. Right. They were much heavier. Mm. 
and they were essentially flat. Right, right. They're, they're flat, sorry, except flat except for the tail, which kind of sticks up, obviously. Now, if you look at a modern skateboard, um, it's interesting that the way the design has kind of evolved over these three decades mm. is that they are, they're not flat. They're kind of curiously kind of formed into this shape where they have, they're slightly risen above the wheels so that when you're turning the skateboard by leaning, mm. you don't get what they call wheel bite, which is where the wheel will kind of cut bite into the, the wood of the board itself. And that can actually cause right, the right. wheel to stop, which will throw you off. Right. So they, they're kind of slightly uh, formed that way. And that also makes it easier to do tricks. Mm. Now, the skateboards these days are much, much lighter, like really light. Mm. The wheels are smaller. The hardware is, is um, uh, better constructed. The, the board itself is much thinner. So the, <laughs> the skateboards that I used to ride on were very, very thick. They're very heavy. Mm. So in order to stop those skateboards... You basically your main option would be to put your foot down on the back, which would cause the back of the skateboard to scrape along the ground. Right. Now, because of the weight of these things, in order to actually have any sense of control while you're doing that, mm. I'm talking about the, the skateboards from three decades, decades ago, mm. there would be a large kind of like a, a upside-down speed bump uh, of plastic that you'd attach onto the back of the tail which used to be called like a what was it called like a grind grind bumper or something like that mm. I forget the actual name of it but basically you'd have this on the back of the skateboard and it would slowly wear down the more that you're scraping along it mm-hmm. and then once it's worn completely down you you take it off and you replace it with a new one right so that's how I used to stop on the skateboard mm. uh, when I'm getting any when I'm getting fast then I would basically put my foot down on the back and kind of scrape the tail of the skateboard along until you slow down. And I would never kind of uh, – because the board is so wide, uh, you would never put your foot down to stop because uh, the board is so wide and it's actually – you have more stability by keeping your feet on the skateboard and then using the back to slow yourself down. Right, right, right. So <laughs> you can see where this is going. This <laughs> this skateboard that I have now is very, very mm. – it, it's very thin, so it's about half the width I'd say what would be mm-hmm. about maybe 20 centimeters wide. Mm-hmm. It's very, very thin. And uh, going downhill, I realized a little bit too late, I can't slow down. <laughs> because this board, because of the, 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 this kind of cruiser board, it actually sits quite a fair way above the ground. Mm. That's because the wheels are big. And that's because uh, basically with this kind of cruiser board, you don't steer it. Like in the old days, you would steer the skateboard by uh, pushing your foot on the back and then kind of Mm. lifting up the front and sort of lifting the board into the new direction that you want to go. So a modern-day longboard or this kind of cruiser board, you steer it by basically the the trucks, which is the name of the the hardware that connects the wheels to the board, has a a rubber component in the middle that allows it to flex left and right and kind of in rolling action. And you just lean in the direction you want to go, right? Exactly. So you you have the trucks loose enough so you basically just lean and and that will cause the wheels to sort of steer you in in the direction that you're wanting to go. Uh, With this kind of cruiser board, that's the main way that you steer. So therefore, so that you don't get wheel bites, they sit quite a fair height off the ground compared to Mm -hmm. like a, a skateboard that's used for tricks. So mm. pressing the back of the board down onto the ground lifts the board up to a, a pretty uncomfortable angle. Right. And being that there was no 
whatever it was called, like the grind bumper or whatever. There's nothing on right. the back. You're basically just scraping the wood of the back of the skateboard along the ground right, if you want right. to slow down that way. So <laughs> what I didn't realize is that the modern way to slow down a skateboard mm-hmm. is to basically put your foot down. So you pivot your foot back forwards and you put your your uh, foot that you would normally use for, um, for pushing yourself along and you kind of gently place it down to scrape it along the ground as like a foot break. Oh, I see. So that's the modern way to slow down a, a skateboard. But I didn't know I this. <laughs> so go, burning down the hill, I kind of realized a little mm-hmm. bit too late Geez, I don't know how to stop. <laughs> I don't know how to slow down. Like I, I like putting my foot on the back w- wasn't practical because it lifts the front up to this really high angle. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, how am I? Go- I, I got a. I guess I was getting too much speed. Mm. You can tell that because the board was starting to wobble. Right. That's right. basically you get your body gets into this chain reaction where you feel yourself going one way, so your feet will compensate the other way, but then. You know, because of the speed, mm. that will cause you to feel like you're getting out of balance that way. So you go back the other way, and basically, this creates this sort of mm. inescapable, vicious cycle of of <laughs> of reactions, which causes you to wobble backwards and forwards as you you know as you're going down the hill. Right. And so, okay, well, I'm going to have to jump off the skateboard now because uh, I'm going too fast and I don't know how to stop. <laughs> I don't know how to slow down. <laughs> and it didn't occur to me that I could just put my foot on the ground because I guess you know, that muscle memory of riding a completely different kind of skateboard that function in a very different right. kind of way. You're not sitting and considering and thinking, hmm, what could I do? You're literally barreling down the road. Right. And not being comfortable enough to slow down the way that I used to and also having a board right, of a completely right. different construction. I thought, okay, the only thing I can do here is just jump off. Right. Uh, so I did that. And obviously the momentum, the momentum that I was that I had moving forward mm. caused me to fall forward when I landed on the ground. Right. And, you know, straight on my front, hands out, grazed up my, my uh, the heels of my, uh, my like the palms of my hands and my knees and my elbows. And it was just all oh, very dear. bad. Oh, dear. <laughs> and where did, what happened to your skateboard? I mean, did that go I was fine. into the sunset? Yeah, it just kind of rolled off down the hill and into a, into a, <laughs> into a bush and had it's a... Making a new life for itself in Denmark. Had a good laugh for its, at its, at its rider. <laughs> So, so yeah, it was, uh, yeah, kind of, so since then I've kind of been practicing a little bit on flat ground, but it's so hard for me to rewire my, myself to operate this thing in a different way. Mm. And like that feeling of riding on a skateboard is, is, is a very distinct feeling mm. And the sort of the intuition takes over very quickly for me because I, I did write a lot right, when I was right. when I was uh, you know eight or nine or whatever. Right. And so very quickly, I sort of my body feels like it wants to do what I used to do on those big, heavy, wide boards from the eighties. Mm. But with these tiny little modern things, <laughs> like they, they, they just don't work that way, and you can't you can't really use them exactly the same as those old vintage right. boards. Right. And so it's really been a struggle to kind of reprogram myself to, to operate this thing properly. And even just the act of putting my foot down to, to scrape it along the ground like a shoe break mm. is, is really hard. <laughs> so mm. so I'm, I'm not in a good place at the moment with my skateboard. And so as a, as a result, oh last weekend... You were so excited to get it as well. Yeah. 
Last <laughs> last weekend, I went out and bought a bike. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, you went out. I was going to say, are you going to buy a, an old, like a vintage skateboard? Yeah, like- yeah that, that might. I think I made a few mistakes. Number one, I should not have gone with a small cruiser board. I should have gone with a proper, big, regular skateboard. Right. The cool thing at the moment is that uh, because all of these parts and the sizes, they're all interchangeable and very standardized now, mm. you can take, you can buy just a regular skateboard board right? and then choose your own trucks and hardware for it and then choose your own wheels for that. And as long as you've got like riser pads that can give you a bit more height off the ground so that you don't get wheel bite, mm. you can basically pretty easily, you know, construct your own skateboard to your own specs. And I, right. I should have done that with a larger board. Uh, that is designed for control and not for portability. Right. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know if they let you take them for test drives, but it, it might have been good in the shop yeah. to sort of well, I did. feel the difference between the different... Yeah, I actually did. Like, I, I, I tried... Okay. A, I, tr- I didn't try a regular skateboard because I was thinking, ah, oh, you know, I don't want, it, don't want it to be too large. Right. So I tried a long board, which is kind of very... They're, they're very different. Like, they're very... They're slightly flexible. So when you're standing on them, they kind of sort of wobble a bit and they kind of bounce mm-hmm. up and they're that, they're that flexible. So it's really easy to steer by just leaning. Mm. And then I tried this little cruiser one that I ended up buying. I think, yeah, this will do. This is fine. And obviously, you're just sort of skating a few meters on flat ground inside a shop. So, you know, there's not going to be any downhill disasters in that situation. <laughs> but... uh yeah, so I'm not really sure what to do with my little cheap cruiser now that I've, uh, I've, <laughs> I've uh, basically. Well, uh, you can persist. I mean, you can still practice on flat ground and try and get the hang of it, as well as you'll you'll have your bike for now. But it would be nice to learn how to, because it sounds like once you've figured it out, it is the thing that you want. Right. Like once you've learned how to ride it, it is the smallest, lightest thing that would be the most convenient to get around, and it's probably. Also, I mean, the name implies that it's it's sort of the city skateboard, right? right? It's the thing you want to use to get around. So, you know, if you can practice and get used to it, then then I, I don't think you've made a mistake necessarily. Mm. Yeah, I think um, my wife would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> because after, uh, you know, coming back, also my son might disagree too. Like after coming back from that fall and then uh, getting the bike and now obviously, you know, having a bike to ride next to my son uh-huh. to ride him to school every day is is far more practical because it's faster and sure. you know it's uh, arguably safer <laughs> i'm not saying you should sell the bike i'm just saying you should keep the skateboard you've got and uh, and you'll find a use for it yeah i think i'm the, the tricky thing now is like i'm i'm regretting getting something so small mm. so i'm now thinking that it would have been smarter to get a proper regular size skateboard. Right, right. Um, but that then, you know, that really is a quite an, an, a commitment if I'm, <laughs> if I'm going to, uh, you know, buy a second skateboard uh, just because this first one was too small. So, yeah, not really sure. Unfortunately, the area where I live around here has is, is got uh, quite a lot of sort of gent- gently gentle hills around here. There isn't any area that's kind of flat. Mm. So... Pretty much wherever I go, I'm going to uh, deal with hills, climbs, and and descents. And so, uh, you know, both of those are not really ideal environments to be practicing skateboarding. Well, as someone who has never been able to figure out skateboarding, <laughs> tried many, many times, and I can't, I can't 
make it go. I've just never figured it out. As someone in that position, I say stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing is that, you know, uh, the, the penny board... I don't know. Do you know what? Have you heard penny of the penny board? No. Okay. A penny board is a it's a brand of skateboard. As I mentioned, it's made of like a some kind of composite uh, plastic. Mm. So and it's very very well. Maybe I'm not sure about now, but for a while it was very very trendy because it is essentially what I was aiming for with the purchase of this board. It's very small. It's very light. It's very easy. Well, easy. It's very. Uh, Practical, uh, very easy to mm. ride in the sense that, you know, you, you just push it and you stand on it. And if, as long as you can balance, you'll get where you want to go very quickly. Mm. And, yeah, not that expensive. And, of course, being made of plastic, there's a whole range of different kinds of colors and uh, patterns and designs that you can get them in. So, you know, they're extremely popular, which means that, yes, this thing is rideable <laughs> and it, mm. it is conquerable. It's just a matter of right. persistence. Right. but. The, the muscle memory thing is really, really getting in the way. Like I, I when I stand on this thing, yeah. my body feels like it should be standing on something very, very heavy, very wide, and that, you know, when you press down on the back will only kind of rise to a fairly gentle angle mm. uh, because of the bumper on the back. Whereas uh, with the cruise that I have, you know, it's it's all different, but my body doesn't really react right. quickly enough yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I, I mean, it almost this is a bit of a strange example, but it sounds a little bit like the thing of moving to a country when they drive on the other side of the road, mm, right? And you kind of your muscle memory is all set up one way, and you're used to always looking sort of right when you get to an intersection, and now you have to always look left, and and all of this sort of thing. Mm. But I, I feel like people, you know, people consistently manage to do that, even though it's annoying, mm. by just. Because they end up driving a lot. They end up, you know, having to do it. Right. And I think you would also, if you did it enough, you would you would get it. But there, there probably is a sort of, there probably is a tipping point where, like, if you're only going once a week or once every two weeks or something, then you never quite make it and the muscle memory always feels like it's getting in your way. Right. If you were going every day then you would probably get over it quite quickly. But obviously, it's, if you're not actually, you know, if you're using the bike to get places and you're just using the skateboard to practice then it's quite difficult to make time every day just to practice right right so it's like where's where's the middle ground how can i do it enough to overcome this problem to get past that tipping point right but without sort of you know with the limited time that i have Mm. yeah um the left hand right hand drive thing is interesting too my uh my father does that incredibly well He's able, mm. just able to kind of flick a switch, and he's he's on the other side of the road. Probably because he's been back and forth between countries that that drive on each side. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I bet if you if you used like three or four different skateboards regularly, then you could just switch between them like that because you'd be so used to it. Right, right, right. So yeah, speaking of my father, there's one other thing that I wanted to uh, mention mm-hmm. uh, on today's show, and. Uh, this is uh, this is to do with my father, and um, I have a recommendation to make to you, Danny, oh. and also to okay. to anybody else who's listening. My father visited uh, us in Stockholm uh, just a few days ago, mm. and I did something with him that I'd been meaning to do for many, many years, but never kind of really got around to it, and I finally did it, and I'm so glad I did, and I want to recommend that you, Danny, and as, as well, uh, listeners as well, you do this as well with either of your parents or your grandparents, mm-hmm. and that is take a voice recorder 
put it in front of your parents or grandparents and ask them to tell you as much as they know of their history and of the family history and of their childhood. Oh, wow. It's something really special that you should definitely do Mm. because I think we forget, you know, in this day and age, you know, uh, luckily both of our parents, you know, they're they're still alive Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously they are living in a different era now compared to when they were children. Mm. And because, you know, by and large, our parents are fully assimilated with this new era because they've been living it and it's been a gradual change for them. It's easy to forget the extent to which their lives were different when they were much, much, much younger. Mm. And if you ask them to just describe to you, you know, tell me about what you remember of when you were a teenager Mm. or what you remember of before that. Tell me about, you know, what you know of your grandparents, what you know of your grandparents' parents, Mm. any of that. To actually have them write about it is good, Mm -hmm. but... There's something about hearing them talk about it, Mm. which captures, you know, their values, the things that they laugh at, the things that they become very solemn about when they're talking, um, which it becomes like a a really precious sort of time capsule of not only the history of their uh, upbringing, Mm. but also kind of the history of their personality, you know. Mm. And I got the sense that the recording that I made with my father was two hours long. Right. And I got the sense as we were going through it that this recording is going to be something that's going to be extremely precious for me and for my children and my for my children's children mm. to actually hear, you know, their grandfather or their great-grandfather talk about their history from a time that at that stage when they're listening in the future will be so long ago. Mm. It was just really, really special. And I there's the added benefit in our case that my father actually is um, uh, very, very interested in our family history mm. and has done a lot of research uh, actually way back to like the – I think the, the furthest back he knows is sort of the – 1700s in Britain. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's very um, knowledgeable of the male side of the family uh, with mm. basically follow- tracing back the name May back. I think he's he's traced it back from my eight generations from me or nine generations from my son. Wow. And, yeah, he has an amazing memory for dates and for places and for names and relationships between people. And he's traced it all the way back to the furthest that he's gotten back is a pub in a place called Chigwell, Mm. which is in London. And the pub is called the Maypole Inn. And it actually still exists. And uh, the the earliest ancestor was called Richard May. Mm. And apparently Richard May used to work and live at the Maypole Inn in Chigwell in London. In uh, oh, I have to check the recording now to get the dates accurate, but I think something sometime <laughs> in the 1700s. Oh wow! And it was his, uh, it was Richard May's uh, grandson who made the journey to Australia, and then uh, many many generations later comes my father and myself. So, in this recording, uh, he basically laid out pretty much all that he could recall in that moment of the entire history mm. of all of these May men stepping back to Richard May from the Maypole Inn in Chigwell. Mm. And wow, what a 
what a precious recording. I mean, it was just amazing. So wow, yeah, no, it it sounds absolutely amazing. And so, in in your case, it wasn't just your your father's life, but also everything he knows about the whole sort of history of the family going back generations. Mm. I wonder how do you structure something like that? Because I've got a feeling. I mean, it it does sound like an amazing thing to do. I think in my case, I would probably want to do it with both of my parents and have them both together because I think they would sort of play off each other in in a way that would be interesting. But I don't know if I could just put a tape recorder in front of them. Obviously not a tape recorder. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, I'll get a cassette tape. They're like 90 minutes on. (laughs) And and sort of hit record because I I know if somebody did that to me, I wouldn't know where to start. Mm. So did you have a set of questions that you had prepared or... Do you just happen to be lucky that, that your dad is, is good at telling a story and, and knew what you had in mind and knew how to go into it? Like, was it awkward at first? Yeah, no, basically. How did all that work? Yeah, basically, uh, my children had gone to sleep and it was just my dad and myself. Mm. Uh, and later on, my wife uh, came down as well. And we had, you know, a cup of tea in front of us. And he started talking about, you know, his recent discoveries about Richard May, basically. Oh, okay. So he brought it up. Yeah. So you, you didn't, you hadn't planned on doing this. No. So he started talking about this, and then you remembered. That's right. So I said, "Oh, hold on, hold on, stop there. Do you mind if I record this?" Right. And he he said, "Oh, yeah, okay. If you want, I mean, I don't care." So I ran in and I got my. Um, I have a extremely good uh, portable voice recorder or sound recorder, which I use for work. Actually, you might remember it because we actually did some recording work with this particular device when we were working together yes i do remember yeah yes indeed Um, (laughs) anyway uh so yeah i grabbed that and this is a it's a great device because you can set it up uh and it will record to its own internal memory maximum record time of basically about four hours or you can increase that this is a sony m10 and you can increase that with um sd cards but anyway right so basically put it down in front of him and it, the recording was basically kind of like a conversation between myself and him. Mm. And at points where where it was necessary, I would ask him certain questions to get more detail about what he was talking about. So it sort of became like a uh, an interview, essentially. Mm. But yeah, it wasn't awkward at all because I, he was starting anyway and I could just, you know. Right, but right. I, see, yeah. I think um, coming up with some simple questions to begin with, like in your case, um, your uh, parents have an incredible background in different countries and different experiences. So, right. you know, it could it could be easy enough of as easy as just starting off with, you know, what what do you remember of your very early childhood, and what do you remember of this country, and what do you remember of this transition, and how did you feel about right. doing this, or you know, tell me about your grandparents, or you know, some yeah. pretty basic questions can can um, uh, get the 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 flow going pretty easily yeah yeah it is i mean i think it would be very interesting because as you say my parents come from a kind of an era which has disappeared now Mm. in a sense right but that's the thing that's my point is that yeah you know it's easy to look at our parents now and they feel very you know up to date with a modern (laughs) modern lifestyle and a modern uh modern society and all of that Mm. it's just so easy then to forget that before we were born things were very very different and they've been gradually changing all of this time and so all of our parents are from a different era and you know to to take the opportunity to really really hear out 
all of the fine details about what they remember of their childhood and that different era is mm. it, it's amazing. And I, yeah, so to you and also to anybody listening, I highly recommend that while you have the chance, definitely do this. Get yourself some kind of recording device and uh, put you know sit down in front of your parents with with a good hour or two and a and a cup of something warm. <laughs> And and ask them ask them some simple questions like you know what tell me about your your history or what do you know about our family or anything like that. Yeah, that that definitely sounds like like a great idea. And if if anyone sort of hears interesting stories that they they wouldn't mind sharing, please do pop on the the Reddit and uh, compare notes. I'll just share one. <laughs> so go ahead. My um uh let's see my father's father's father, so my great grandfather a great great grandfather yes was the man who came from england his name was edwin mm. and edwin may and um uh basically he was a very very entrepreneurial kind of person he came to a place called maryborough in queensland and uh as a very very entrepreneurial person he uh had a whole range of different kinds of businesses and stuff that he he was doing and uh, one of those was a publican that is somebody who runs a pub mm. and at the time this is really really fascinating so my father has all of these newspaper clippings from the 19th century and the at the time if you wanted to become a publican you need to actually state your intention to do that in the local newspaper oh okay and so he has these uh, actual clippings that have, he's found in archives of the newspaper article where Edwin May announces intention to become a publican. And following that, any kind of scandalous event that happens at this pub will be publicized in the, the local newspaper. Mm. So there's all of these accounts of, you know, my great-great-grandfather being arrested for <laughs> abusive language. And, and there's in his own pub. And there's one. Uh, there's one. There's one where he was arrested for uh, letting his horse and carriage run free in the main street. Which, oh dear! <laughs> and oh dear! And now there's you with your skateboard disappearing into the distance. That's right. You're no better. That's right. And <laughs> the, the the amazing thing is, is that his son, who was called Edwin Erskine May, so Edwin the mm. Second, uh, saw all of these kind of hooligan antics of his father, mm. and was so so unimpressed that he decided to become a policeman. <laughs> and Edwin Erskine was actually. A policeman of some of some reputation, oh. and there are there are uh, there's articles about his uh, some of his famous sort of captures of of criminals in the Australian outback, mm. Uh, mm. and the names of some of these cr- criminals and the way that it's written up in these newspaper articles is priceless. <laughs> and one of the uh, one of the criminals criminals that he was famous for catching was went under the name Captain Starlight. Nice. And Captain Starlight was, uh, you know, famous for, for you know, raping and, and robbing uh, robbing shops and oh, banks and, and stuff like that. And uh, it, it paints, you know, the, reading these newspaper articles kind of definitely paints this picture of of early Australia being like this kind of wild west. With, right. with, with wild east, I suppose. Yeah, wild east or wild south <laughs> with, uh, with, with criminals with names like Captain Starlight, you know, <laughs> arrested. And Captain Starlight is... Very glam rock. Uh, yeah, like uh, you know, arrested, arrested into custody by 
Constable Edwin Erskine May. <laughs> that was <laughs> fantastic. Anyway, so yeah, there's. Uh, oh, the other thing is apparently my family. Uh, a lot of the men in on the May along this May line have this history of uh, enjoying mechanics and taking cars apart and putting them back together again mm. is is a common thing that comes up through different May men in the history of of the May family. So that's <laughs> uh, maybe I have a, like a latent latent genius talent for car mechanics that I. I've never really, never really uh, discovered Tucked before. Into. <laughs> anyway, so yes, Danny, you should uh, definitely uh, next time you go to visit your parents, you should uh, definitely grab yourself a, a portable recorder and, and do this because I highly recommend it. Well, we all have portable recorders uh, that we carry around with us all the time because there's a there's an app for that. Indeed. So uh, yeah, should be should be doable. I will be visiting them later this year, although. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty packed trip, so I don't mm. know if we will have a spare hour or two. But yeah, no, that sounds like an amazing thing. It's not something that I've ever really heard of before mm. or or thought of doing. I mean, you know, you, you hear of people who who kept journals and then their grandchildren sort of get a hold of those journals or inherit them or whatever. Right. And that's like a very treasured memory. Right. And that that is also amazing. It, it, the the nice thing about journals, of course, is that you're writing them at the time, so you you really are seeing things through the eyes of of that person who was there at that time, and and right. with all the the views and thoughts that they had at that time. Whereas mm. with this recording thing, you're going to be getting the memories of someone, right, informed right. by their experiences since both both very valuable but in a different way right but the thing with the journal of course is they have to have been writing it for the last however many decades and if they haven't you can't go back and and make it so exactly and the other thing about a journal is that it's a lot of reading right and it may it may not all of of scribbly handwriting of the time right right and you know you know it may not all be information that is particularly fascinating or particularly you know relevant to what you're interested to learning about Whereas with a recording, obviously, as you said, you you will introduce the potential for inaccuracies because they're remembering something. Not just inaccuracies, but like a, just a very different point of view. Right, right. I think. But that's that's kind of the beauty of it as well, because you get their values. Like I said, the things that they find funny or that they find mm. uh, saddening or whatever, those will be the things that they'll choose to make emphasis on when they're talking about it. Mm. And as a kind of a, a snapshot, if you like, of their personality. Yeah. It's it's uh, just amazing. You know, I, yeah. So I'm, I'm really, really uh, glad that I did this and I've already made like multiple backup copies of this one. Po- yeah, yeah. You definitely want to yeah. keep a few backups of that. It's one. like 1.6 gigabyte recording. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's such a precious thing. So uh, yeah, highly recommended. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely sounds it. I mean, we've had... You know, we've had those sorts of conversations over the dinner table many times, right? I I have memories of listening to my parents' memories of various things, but we've never done it in sort of one sitting and it's never been recorded. So we don't have that, you know, that artifact and the ability to to listen back and hear Mm. hear it with their voice. Yeah. One thing that I might uh, not recommend is doing it with your parents together Mm. because if you do that, then, you know, pretty quickly, because we're talking about memories, you're going to get into a situation where they're arguing with each other about what actually happened, (laughs) (laughs) which maybe if you're interested in finding out absolutely accurate information, maybe that's a good thing. Right. But just sort of in the interest of keeping the discussion moving on and, and getting as much 
content as you can. Mm. Maybe it's not important that things are 100% accurate, especially if you're viewing this more like a you know, a, a snapshot of, of their character and their personality. Right, yeah. Accuracy isn't really the the, the goal. I mean, I, I think that that will depend on your situation and on your particular right. parents. And right. In my case, I don't think my parents are that prone to to arguing, so yeah. I'd probably get away with it. Yeah, it's but. just my... my um, after we did this, the next morning, because my dad was here by himself and my mother is in Australia, mm. um, we Skyped my mother and I told my mother that we did this. Mm. And part of the recording, he was actually recounting how he met my mother, mm-hmm. which uh, was also a pretty amazing story in itself. Uh, and, of course, when... He, when I told my mother what he had said <laughs> the next morning over Skype, the first thing that she said was, "Oh, that's all wrong. <laughs> that's not how it went." So, if you know, if that was in a recording situation, then it probably would have been suddenly the conversation gets derailed into talking about the details of you know who said what at when and right, what happened, right. which yeah. which isn't really what I was wanting. So, sure, sure, yeah. Anyway, hmm. oh, no, no, that's not, that I. You put this down on our show notes as surprise topic, and I really had no idea what to expect. And that was, yeah, that was something that's never occurred to me before and and really interesting, Mm. really, really nice idea. So thank you. You're welcome. And with that? With that, we should go. There is something I have to mention before we go, which is, this is kind of boring and uh, most people may not be interested in it, but the last episode was the first one on a new server. I've switched the, the backend servers for this podcast and it's, it's going to be going through a new system. Right. And for most people, they shouldn't even notice if they're listening in Overcast or the Apple Podcast app or, or, or any of the other common podcast apps. But I've been looking through the statistics on the old system and I'm still getting like one or two downloads a day oh, really? <laughs> from people who are listening in the browser. And I think they're going to the old website. Right. Which, which was the Libsyn website, station13.libsyn.com. That website will cease to work within the next month or so. Okay. So I just want to, if anybody is listening to this through the Libsyn website, the new website is at station13.fm. So please update your bookmarks and you can listen there instead because the one you're going to at the moment will not last for much longer. So... There it is. That is my announcement. Excellent announcement. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>